Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. And we started with a lie because we did not walk. We did not. It's we sat really for a hot. long time and drank coffee, but I just don't have the right shoes. It's not the heat. You it's don't have the right shoes. On, on right now. Okay, well, I don't, that's, anyway. that's, that's a good enough excuse for me. <laughs> I think anything is a good enough excuse for you. Correct. Correct. Um, and we have been not podcasting for the past couple of weeks because one of us has been on a Disney cruise. Yes. And the other one of us wants nothing to do with either part of that uh, phrase. Although Disney not or cruise, right? But not for political reasons, <laughs> but just yeah. I I was anti Disney long before it became a political football, but um, mm. so not not for any of those reasons. Um, but yes. Anyway, how is in case anyone hasn't figured it out, how was the cruise, Yolanda? The cruise was really good. It was fantastic. Like I wasn't that excited about it i i was excited about going away with my family but a cruise was not at the top of my list um, of things to do for a vacation a disney cruise specifically was not at the top uh and so my wife and my nine-year-old said we're doing this and it was a good time okay. as a matter of fact it's what's astonishing me oh, well let's just go right there talk, because i i've come to a place of repentance. Oh, geez. Deep in my soul when it comes to Disney. Like, I was really, I wasn't a hater, but I didn't have a lot of love for Disney before this cruise. But I have to say, I was shocked and impressed, like, really impressed by their values. And how they live them out. Like you and I are church leaders. We lead communities that have mission statements. We lead mm -hmm. communities that have uh, statements of core values. And mm -hmm. like a lot of churches and schools and corporations, you know, we print those core values in our documents. We post them so that people can see them. But it's another level. When you encounter an organization, a corporation, an entity that so lives out their values that you don't have to read them. They're not printed anywhere. You just experience them, experience them because they're so infused in the culture of the organization and that wowed me uh, on this Disney cruise. So what were the values that you didn't see but experienced? So there, there, there are many, but I'll just give you three. The first is diversity. Shocker, shocker. For me, when I think of Disney, I think about um, Snow White, all, all of the old yeah. Euro Disney princesses. And on the first night, every night there was a theater production. On the first night... The crowd almost gasped when Elsa came out and she was played by an African-American woman. I think she may have been um, Afro-Latina, but clearly not a European woman. Not uh, a Scandinavian. Yeah. Yes. 
uh, later on, Peter Pan came out, and Peter Pan was clearly a person of African descent. Yeah. I said to myself, okay, I, I see you, Disney. Yeah. yeah. You walk through the ship. You not only get the classic Disney images, but also lots of of African images, um, you know, not only from the movie Black Panther, but also a recasting of some of those classic characters um, as people of African descent, which was a total surprise. I did not mm-hmm. anticipate that. Not only that, the crew was international. I think mm-hmm. we met one person, one member of the crew that was from the States. And oddly enough, she happened to be from Charlotte. Uh. And even the, the the people there, the guests, the other passengers on the ship, I assumed it would not be a very diverse crowd and astonished by, mm-hmm. by the diversity. So, um, yeah, Disney really lives out their 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 value of diversity and i see now why they are bumping heads with the governor of florida yeah. who is the is the opposite right? right so that's one value another value um, is that everything has a story every piece of art every room on the ship everything done points to some Disney story, not just a movie, but even the the life of Walt Disney. Everything has a story, and the crew, the the ship itself, is very intentional about telling and making you a part of that story. And as a church leader, I mean, yeah. y- you just can't miss that. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Um, and that's exciting. Um, and the people, so many people, unlike my family that doesn't watch a lot of Disney movies, so many people came in already knowing those stories, yeah. those characters, and they just, like, every night we saw dozens and dozens of people who brought costumes, they right. dressed, they were theme nights, and, you know, we were totally unprepared for that. Um, so everything has a story. The third value that was just loud and clear is their, um, uh, their valuing hospitality. Mm-hmm. Like, they clearly sat down and thought through the kind of experience they wanted guests to have. And I felt so cared for, like everything was provided. Not that I didn't have to think about anything, but you just had the sense of they really took the time to anticipate my arrival what I would need, what I might want. Um, and I found that um, it put me in a place of comfort and rest. So so give me a practical example of that. Like what, what does that mean? Like a, a thing that they anticipated. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. From when you, 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 you board the ship. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they announce you. Um, you mm-hmm. have these uh, electronic cards, and they're scanned all the time. And, and when you, you, know, you walk through something, your picture shows up. So when you board the ship, right, they announce, and now it's the Hinton family. And everyone mm-hmm. turns around. It's like, so they, they, they know you before you get on board. When 
Uh, they have these special areas just for children. And I was concerned, you know, just to let my child go. But it's so, it's so safe. They thought about every concern of a parent. They give the child this electronic bracelet and their, 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 their face, their name comes up. And um, while you're booking the, the, the cruise, they ask you for a secret word. And so you just, mm -hmm. we gave them our secret word. So, well, if you want to pick up your child, you need to know the secret word. It's just that kind of thing. Like I didn't, I didn't worry about my child, wherever he was on the yeah. ship. I knew he was safe. Yeah. I mean, that's so, that's really interesting. And like to think about the connections between particularly like diversity, hospitality and the story. And like, obviously those three values are very relevant, not just to any church, but particularly the congregations we serve. And I do think, um, well, first of all, I feel like I need to say for the record why I have longstanding Disney issues, because it's certainly not those three values, which matter to me a lot. Um, and, and I remember like listening to a reading an article about the original like Walt Disney's original vision for Disneyland or world or whichever. And he was saying he had gone to a playground with his daughters and his daughters were playing and he was sitting and watching and his dream concept vision was, I wish there was a place where parents and kids could go and the family plays together. So it's not the kids play and the parents watch, but the parents enter into the play. And I too find that to be a very compelling vision. And I really appreciate, um, you know, the, I just really appreciate and honor the desire of parents to give their children, you know, just a magical childhood experience. And I think it's really beautiful as a parent to say, I don't want to just, I want to play with my children. And I think it is a really honorable thing for an institution to say our mission is to create a way for parents to participate in the magic of childhood with their children. So all of that I think is really beautiful. I think for me, the challenge is, um, has always been, you know, the idea of the, and maybe this isn't even fair to charge to Disney, but it's just, it is incredibly expensive. And I, True. and I have been really uncomfortable with kind of the, the ethos surrounding it that like every parent needs to figure out a way to get their kid to Disney, um, as sort of like, oh, you're deeply depriving your child if you don't do that. And I do, and I, and, and that is real and you hear parents talk about it. And I also just am sort of viscerally offended at the idea that, you as a parent might like spend a, like really make a huge sacrifice and investment to get your kid to Disney world. And then once you get inside the gate, there's all these additional like, Oh, but do you want this special Mickey snow cone? Or, Oh, do you want to have like tea with Cinderella? Well, some little girls get to do it, but you don't because your parents didn't pay the 60 bucks or like, Oh, you have to stand in this longer line because you don't have the fast pass. So I think like, for me, I just, my heart really breaks at the idea that parents 
would make this huge sacrifice and investment to have this experience with their children and then get there. And the children's experience of their parent is, oh, I'm being deprived. Like I'm a second class citizen in this magical kingdom because my parents don't love me. And so like that to me is just, I really feel like when you are commercializing a parent's desire to give their kids a magical experience, like Disney is a for-profit company. And I think that's what makes it so challenging to um, political leaders who see their values as a threat because they're incredibly successful because you can really make a lot of money out of exploiting a parent's desire to give their child a magical moment. And I, and I just, and I have not taken my own children to Disneyland on principle also because I just really don't want to do it. But I, I, I just like, I really hate the idea that we would do that. And then my kids would walk away feeling deprived because we would say like, no, I'm sorry, you don't get the $60 thing or we got to wait in this longer line. Like that just like, why would I sacrifice to give my kid an experience experience of lack and depravity? And I don't think it's fair to just be like, oh, the kids are spoiled. Like it's not spoiled when they're taunting these like exceptional experiences right in front of your kid. And then your kid is naturally going to want to go and have a like direct interaction with their favorite character. So that, so that is it to me, like just like underneath those core values that I really believe in, there's, there's the like unacknowledged value of, yes, this is wonderful for people who have the economic resources to access it. And, and when we buy into the idea that like those magical experiences of childhood are only available for people who have, or are willing to make these incredible sacrifices, like that, that magical childhood experiences have to be bought and curated by a a mega million company. Like that's what that's what just really irks my soul and just the additional pressure that that lays on parents. Like I'm not a person, I, I, I'm certainly not offended by, to, to the contrary, I really appreciate Disney whose stated aims has always been to, to tell universal stories. And so for them to say like, oh, we really want to make sure that, you know, children of every ethnicity can identify with Rapunzel because we feel like, you know, the tangled story you know, speak like, that's great. Like if they're universal values, then they can be played by universal characters. And I I think that's wonderful. And I'm not at all offended. I am, I celebrate the idea that Disney is becoming um, much more comfortable about how can we tell stories to children and about families that look, that reflect the reality of the families that children live in. Um, And how can we tell stories about, because a lot of Disney movies, in fact, I would argue almost every Disney movie especially the classics are all about sexuality. Like they're all about the proper ways of expressing your gender and falling in love and making a romantic connection. And so I am, I am, I am happy to find a company that's trying to say, Oh, how can we acknowledge that everyone's sexuality isn't heteronormative? And how do we like tell those stories in age appropriate ways for children? And so that does not offend me, but I also think that, the um, ways that Disney has portrayed uh, the genders, like the traditional gender roles, I I think are pretty toxic. Like the women are by and large, you know, thin and, you know, meet a conventional beauty standard that, you know, the long hair and whatever, big eyes and that, you know, so that even, you know, there's just lots of like meta narratives that I think 
are very are very tr- can be just really harmful to navigate when you're trying to figure out who you are and like what love is. But I also can really appreciate. I think in every generation you have a long standing company. Like I do, I do see evidence that for whatever their reason, they're they're thinking about like what what they want to tell children now. So like I love that in the first Frozen movie, and I haven't seen the second that you know the love story was between the sisters and not you know it, I mean I just think that's really beautiful but it's just the commerce of it all and the way that we just don't even talk about that we don't even talk about what does it mean when everyone says like oh you got to take your kids to Disney I'm like well okay and the person sitting next to you who can't I'm not mad at Disney for that maybe as much as I'm mad at the way people the way we normalize talking as if there are not families who love their children very much and just don't have those economic resources. So it's a privilege and it's great if you can do it. And also I'm not doing it. You're right. It is a privilege. And uh, we were able to save money during the pandemic because right. we didn't go anywhere. Right, 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 right. Like the rest of the world. And so it, it afforded us the ability to uh, take the cruise and not, go to Disney World, which is much more expensive than right. a Disney cruise. Um, but uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. It is most definitely a privilege. Well, and I just, I mean, also, I just want to also acknowledge that I hate amusement parks and zoos, and they're kind of my idea of oh, Hades. Wow. So, oh, I mean, it's just not Hades. my thing. It's not my thing, wow. and I'm not saying there's any virtue associated with that. I just Well, like, the other yeah. night, um, I met with the elders of Derrida Church, and for our uh, devotional time before the meeting, I referenced that uh, place in the New Testament, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, I believe. It's where the Apostle Paul says um, that uh, we are living epistles being mm-hmm. read of all people, right? And just talked about my experience of the core values of Disney, being able to uh, read them in the in the culture and the experience of mm-hmm. the cruise and not on you know any kind of billboard or document and just ask the question as people read my life and your life what what values are they picking up what are they saying oh right. this person really cares about when when people um, come onto the campus of Derrida Church what what values are we so living out that people, they, they can't help but see them and experience 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 them because they are so infused in the, the culture of the church. Yeah, because I do think it's interesting that the one thing, I mean, the two that you named is one is safety um, and the other is like welcome and being known and, and experiencing like, oh, these people, this is, a, I am in a place where I am wanted and known. And as much as like a lot of Disney is about the commerce of it, I mean, those are two things that are not, do not necessarily require money, right? I mean, and so I do think it's interesting. And I do think that's true that as much as it's nice to meet a character or be able to like dress up for fun, I do think the deep soul need that that meets is we go places all the time and are sort of constantly navigating the burden of, am I wanted here? Do I belong here? And and churches absolutely could <laughs> um, 
give that gift to not just visitors or strangers or guests, but to one another, right? If we were intentional about saying, like, do I believe that the people who are in this community truly matter to the Lord? And do I believe that our being together in community is beneficial and is a good in and of itself and pleases the Lord and just walking in that value, not because I think it, not as a means to an end, but an end in itself. Um, Because I do think, like, sadly, I agree. I think a lot of people do feel like they need to pay a lot of money and get on a plane and get on a boat and then be like, okay, I have purchased the ability to be welcomed and cared for here. And the great gift as a community is to know that not only do we long for that, but that other people long for that. And we can choose to create that for one another. Because I do think that people don't, I don't think that people go to churches because they need the preaching or the music or the programming. I think that people are seeking the Lord in communities because it is not good for man to be alone, for a human to be alone. And when we, when we not just understand it, but like actually believe in it. Well, enough to be intentional to live them out. Right. Those and, values. Right. And so I, I think that's really interesting. And, um, and I do think that's one of the things that was really challenging and uncomfortable, but ultimately deeply fruitful about the transformation process that we were in more than a decade ago is that we, I mean, I, I think you and I, I know for sure. And I think others are the same way that like we're leading these institutions and serving these institutions and a part of these institutions and we, we believe in them and they're meaningful to us. And, and that's just a, like a given an assumption and we don't really like dig down and think, well, but, but why, (laughs) like, why are we doing the things we're doing? And like, what are our expectations and how might we have grown accustomed to behaving in certain ways that are not in line with those values, but also it's just the norm, not just in our church, but in every church. And so we just don't even see it and we don't question it. And we're just like, oh, this is what you have to do. If you're going to have a good choir, you know, occasionally you have to yell at all the people. Or if you're going to have a youth group, occasionally you just have to yell at the kids. Or the only way to have a youth group is to go on trips that cost a certain amount of money. And so the families that can do it can go and the families that can't, can't go. And like, too bad, so sad. It's just the way it is. And there's no other way to do it. And not to be able to really say... Oh, actually, but what does that, what's the unintended consequence of that? And do we need to think just because everyone does something this way or just because this is the standard, is it in line with the culture of the kingdom of God? And if it's not, can we just look at that and sit with the challenge of that and be open to what the Lord might call us to leave behind um, in anyway, so. Well, one final thing about Disney. Um, I, I do think you're right that we, we do have to uh, take a look at how they present uh, gender and especially girls. But one thing I noticed in the theater production of these movies that I've seen, um, 
the, the folks that I was with, not only did my wife and son go, but we met a friend of ours, uh, Melanie and her daughter. And so we would uh, go to dinner and, and talk about the things we were seeing and experiencing on the cruise. And so we were talking about, um, let's see, we saw Aladdin and um, the Little Mermaid. And uh, one of the things we said in evaluating uh, those two productions was, you know, it's, it's clear that uh, Disney was trying to say something about how we um, navigate differences, mm-hmm. right? Um, but also for the very first time, and I'd seen, you know, the uh, animated movies before, but for the very first time, I saw uh, that uh, in, in these Disney stories, there's the common theme of, girls coming of age right that they are uh, defining their their power and sense of being um, over against uh, fathers <laughs> and mm. other men in their lives and I had not seen that before until um, I saw these theater productions um, on the cruise yeah I mean it's really interesting because in some ways I think that the gender expressions for girls, I mean, there is sort of more room because part of the whatever archetype narrative is always here's a girl who is more athletic or more adventurous than the authorities around her would like her to be. And she and she lives out her own truth like Ariel defines her father or defies her father or Merida, you know, goes on the whatever it is. And so the stories are sort of like about the some to some extent, the spectrum of activities and character traits that girls are allowed to have. And then yes. the men often are kind of their authority figures, but they're always being subverted or navigated around or they're kind of, um, you know, accessories to, you know, so, so they don't, you know, so you will see uh, many Disney movies about young girls doing quote like roles that are reserved for men but what you won't see is disney movies about young boys doing things and not, that are not ma- perceived as masculine right and so we don't even notice that and and there are obviously disney movies with boy protagonists but they're usually more on just the the hero's journey like yes. joseph campbell's hero's journey and it's no way that like oh i you know I need to be a soldier and go off to war, but I'd like to stay home and open a bakery. Like that is not a gender stereotype that Disney is willing to challenge because that's not a story that we as a country are willing to think about or talk about. And so I do think in a really like unexpected way in given all of the very real um, challenges of navigating being female in this culture this culture does acknowledge that there are there is a spectrum of acceptable ways to be female but there really continues to only be one acceptable way to be a man and that's John Wayne and or you know some some however extreme or you know you can you can be um you know Jack Reacher or John Wayne or like maybe you can be the absent-minded professor but like you know but you know, and so I, I think that that's a really interesting thing. And again, I mean, I feel like I say this a lot on this podcast, and it's just my own testimony that one of the gifts of being 
alive in a time where transgendered people are more visible is that one of the many gifts they bring to me as a cisgendered person is it makes me realize how, I mean, if you had asked me 10 or 15 years ago how often I thought about gender, I've just been like, not none, I don't. Like occasionally someone's a jerk to me and I'm like, step back, but that's it. And it just has made me realize like, oh, I categorize people on the basis without even being aware of it. And I feel less able to relate to men as human beings than as women because I am constantly, um, you know, bridging, like contorting to try to bridge this separation, which is not fair. I mean, among other things, it's not fair to men. And I do not mean that as a men's right activist. It means it's not fair for me to assume that um, that men are seeing me in a particular way because of my gender. And I just realized like, oh, I just need to relate to people as humans, not Imagine that. as gendered beings. And I really need to take more seriously in Christ Jesus, there is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. Um, so that means you and I, are going to write a script for Disney. We're, we're going to get paid. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to develop a story. That is just... Come on, we could do that. That is just so not the takeaway from this conversation, <laughs> my friend. I, I have zero interest in um, participating in the Disney institution, but lots of interest in participating in our... We're going to write a script. It's not going to be for Disney, is all I'm saying. Um, but yeah, that's good. So what's astonishing you? Um, I was really, uh, just came back yesterday. I went up on Sunday, um, to bring actually my middle child up to the high school, um, Montreat youth conference to join her older sister there. And so, um, the Grove sent, um, we ended up sending eight young people to the middle school Montreat, which confusingly is not in Montreat. So a middle school youth conference. And then we sent 16 um, high school youth to the high school Montreat youth conference. Um, And so I am just a, it was really interesting. Like I picked up my daughter and, and my middle daughter is just, um, she's a little more temperamentally like her father, Um, so she's just kind of more even keeled, um, like deep thinker, deep feeler, but is, is just more reserved and is like more on the introvert spectrum. She's not an introvert, but like more on that side than, than her sisters and I am certainly. Um, and so she came home from that middle school conference and just like the, the depth of the experience that she had there um, was, was so overwhelming. Mm. And just as a, as a pastor of the church, but particularly as the mother of a daughter who very much wants her to have the treasure that I have found in Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm so grateful that she, um, had that experience and, um, was able to, I mean, I, I have a lot of, 
like I I have, as I think everyone should, a complicated relationship with the sort of denominational like Christian tradition I come out of, which is I don't reject it, but I do not revere it either. Like I just feel like part of the job is to be grateful for the for the gifts of it and to be able to acknowledge those, but also just to like really be aware of the weaknesses and blind spots as well. And to, I, I dislike the way that Presbyterians often in our culture, it's very acceptable to talk about being Presbyterian as if it is somehow superior to any other expression of the Christian life. And I really, um, I think it's really dangerous and it's, and it's very, in my opinion, it's very real and our, it's not a joke. Like people really function in that, even if they would deny it, I I think. Um, But I also want to say, I think that one of the things that by and large our denomination does, I think well, reliably well is, um, is youth conferences, is that sort of adolescent, faith formation experience for young people. And so I'm really grateful that my daughter's got to be a part of it. And I'm really grateful that our congregation was able to send um, groups of children, adolescents to experience these conferences without making um, economic resources a limiting factor and that, because the thing is, there's a lot of similarities between a Presbyterian youth conference and a Disney cruise in that it's wonderful, but they are very, 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 very expensive. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the, the middle school youth conference fees, which included housing and um, meal, most meals, was $450 for a Wednesday through Sunday morning event. And that did not include transportation costs to get down there. So that's a lot. And, you know, and I mean, I suppose where you are in the economic spectrum, like in a lot of Presbyterian churches, that's NBD, but, but that's hard, like super hard. And then the high school conference fees are, um, I want to say that they're like 300 and they don't include housing and food. Now I want to say two things. One is institutionally, um, the, Montreal Conference Center, you know, we just said like, hey, we need scholarships for these conference fees, and they gave them to us. Um, and this congregation is really living out its values of wanting, if we're going to do it for some of our kids, we have to do it for all of our kids. Um, and so, you know, have just been willing to like literally pay the price to say, how can we make sure that this is not just some of our kids get to go and some of them are just like too bad for you. So I'm, I'm, I'm really so glad that our kids got to be a part of it. Like universally the kids have a good time and, and, and a deep meaning and more than a good time, like have a really um, age appropriate and intense and formative encounter with the Lord in community. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, and, you know, I am aware, like, look, I wasn't at the Montreal, the middle school conference, but I'm looking at pictures. And then I was up there for the high school conference. And, you know, our, our group of 16 kids and three advisors are 
13 of the youth are black and two of the advisors are black. And in the middle school conference, I think six were black and two were white and our two leaders were black. And the every the majority of the 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 vast majority of other people there are white and so again I just like I think that diversity is a core value of the Presbyterian Church I think we hold it very sincerely but haven't figured out how to live it out in the fact that you know we're going to have these conferences and teach our young people how important it is you know that that racism is demonic and that systemic racism is real and that we need to be you know committed to justice but also you know doing the really difficult messy uncomfortable work of saying okay but if we don't have access to these spaces you know if we are not by choice but by fact or reality segregated communities like well what does that mean and so um, I don't know, but I just am, I'm, I'm so, so, so grateful that our um, young people are having this experience and having it together and that they're loving it. And it's so awesome to see them just be like playful and, you know, have a place where, I mean, again, the Disney parallels are crazy of like, you know, they're, they have like theme days every day and like they dress up like monarchs on Monday and they have a Western day and they have a Hawaiian day. And they're just like, you know, doing these energizers where they're just like, silly and fun and playful and joyful and I love seeing all kids um, but especially teenagers who often just have the weight of the world on their shoulders just have a space set apart to just enjoy the goodness of being alive and not what am I going to do to navigate this threat or what am I going to do to earn this particular path to my future but just you know who I am right now in this moment is um you know, more than enough. And I'm anyway, so I, I love it and I'm astonished and I'm so grateful to the Grove for, um, making really, making really messy choices to be able to live that out and to say, you know, so, so like our youth leader, Octavia, like her job is so much harder because we do not do the standard practice of just saying like, okay, in September, here's the date when we're going, pay your deposit by December. And if you have, then you go. And if you haven't, then you don't. And whoever, you know, too bad that to really like say, no, we're taking people and please sign up. And, you know, there's a, you know, there's a amount that we invite everyone to pay. And then if you can pay more, that's great. And if you can't pay that, but it, me- it means it's really hard to predict who's going to come and to invite people into a space without knowing like, oh, well, what is a youth conference? And do I really want to do this? And I think I want to do it. And to just sort of live with people and the ambiguity of that, even though it makes our job as leaders harder, is um, I, I just think is really bearing fruit and is worth it. Also, our Freedom School kids just came back and they can probably, you can probably hear that. <laughs> they, they're, they're not rioting. They're chanting their chants <laughs> right outside my door. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I encountered a long time ago was the spirituality of play. Mm -hmm. And that playing is deeply formative and honoring to the Lord. I mean, we quote that scripture that says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And yet, um, in adult church, it seems like we have this propensity to squeeze out the joy and yet if you can go away with young people into the woods or 
far away, just get into another environment and and play and have fun, that that is um, that can just be deeply moving in a way that um, lifts you out of your ordinary life in a way that nothing else can. Right. I mean, I think part of it is because it's deeply subversive yeah. to say, like, it is sacred for us to go together and we're not producing anything. Yeah. Like, we're worshiping. We're, like, being, we're receiving the truth about the goodness of God. We are resting and we are just enjoying being together. Like that is deeply subversive to the powers and principalities of this world. And, you know, I mean, bless, like my middle daughter came home and I asked her how it was and she just burst into tears. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, she, And she's like, it was just the best time ever. And I'm just so sad it's over. And I'm so sad that you know, she, she will start high school next year. And so she, she will never do another middle school youth conference. And I was like, well, maybe you could go back and, you know, be a helper or be whatever. And she's like, but you know, it just won't be the same. Like, and, and I love that she had this moment where being exactly where she was, was, you know, was special and was a moment to just enjoy and savor and not like, oh, I can't wait to get through middle school so I can get to high school so I can get to college so I can get, you know. Mm-hmm. But to be exactly where you are is special and wonderful and, and you won't go back to it again. And and that's, you know, to, to recognize the treasure of, of, it's just so amazing. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a spiritual community that says, I want that for other people's children. I want that for other people's children. And like, it's not my kids who are going on that trip, but I want to give money so that other people's children can have the experiences that I had myself or that I wanted for my own children. Like, I'm so, so grateful for that, like really healthy sense of collective community that I think the Holy Spirit is growing in this place so yeah now i'm thinking about how to make play and joy one of our core values like what yeah. what if we um you know instead of going off to a camp what if that were infused into the life of the congregation that we are we're not trying to produce anything we're we are enjoying one another we're enjoying god and um we can have a lot of fun together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really that's really beautiful, and I do think kind of the the great gift is that is not as hard mm. um, as we think it is. Like I, you know, one of the things that the kids really like about going is you know they're in a house together and they just like they have downtime where they just sit around and they play Uno or they sit on the porch and rock on rocking chairs. I mean, they're just and our youth leader is so. Um, Octavia is so wise in that they actually, um, she has very clear guidance for them about, you know, having their phones when they're in keynote or in worship. And she'll say like, if you want to take notes on your phone, that's fine, but otherwise put it away. Um, but they're actually, the place they're not allowed to have their phones at all is in the house. She's like, I want you to be present to each other in real life here. So if you are leaving the house to go to small groups or like, sure, you can take your phone with you. Um, but when you're in the house, like it's here at the door and I don't want you on it because I want you to have the goodness of unstructured time together. I remember, um, maybe been a couple of years ago, you and I, um, had been walking and, 
um, we were drinking coffee and we were preparing to um, report, re- report, record a podcast. And um, I said something like, oh, man, I got to I got to you know, get this podcast done so I can get back to work. And you said we are working. This mm-hmm. is part of what we do. And it took me a moment. It's like, oh, y- you are right. There is this impulse within me, and I'm sure a lot of people, that if it's fun, right, <laughs> like it if you are yeah. enjoying it, then it's not work. Sure, I need to be suffering right. for the Lord, right? Right, and and there needs to be some physical thing yeah. or concrete task that has been accomplished, and but like you know, I prove my worth and value to the church right. by right by suffering, right, right. Well, that's good. Um, I and I feel like we have our astonishment has taken a long, a long time, which I'm not mad about. But um, is there something that you're thinking about that we should listen? I've been on a cruise. <laughs> I've been on vacation. Um, my my wife Han was very happy that I was able to turn my preacher brain off for mm-hmm. days and. Frankly, I don't think I've switched it back on, so I don't know if I'm thinking about anything. Well, I mean, fair enough. I, I, um, at some point, I would like to talk about um, this. There's a new song by a country artist named Jason Aldean called Try That in a Small Town, which is um, stirring up battles on the 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 settled the entrenched lines of the culture war that I that I do want to talk about because I think um one of the purposes of this podcast is to help um people who really want to learn um no and I'll say specifically I know well, people I will say people because I think white people who really want to understand sometimes why is something that's not a big deal to me a big deal to my brothers and sisters of other ethnicities? And I also think it's helpful. I think some people of color and black people listen to this podcast to try to understand how come white people don't see, right? Like, how can you not see what I see? So so I do think sometimes it's helpful for people to hear us talk about the, the things that are really... Um, sort of on the smoke sure. in the culture yeah. wars right now. Um, and so, I I mean, I don't know. I don't know what our time is like. Can we do that today? Should we push we it off? 45 to... minutes in. Okay. Well, I, um, I'll just say briefly, Jason Aldean is a country song t- star who, who is um, part of his public persona is his conservative political views. And so he, um, you know, has shared photos on social media of his children wearing shirts um, I think say like, you know, let's go Brandon, which is basically the F Joe Biden, and maybe even saying that like a toddler with an F Joe Biden shirt. So, so, so he um, is, is a person who um, is, is a conservative Republican and, um, and, and does talk a lot about, you know, anti-wokeness. Um, and he, in the, in the, earlier this year released a song called try that in a small town and and the themes of the song and you can look up the lyrics um but they're basically saying the the trope is things happen in big cities 
like bizarre and nonsensical um you know ideologies and violence happen in big cities and in big cities people are so worried about um politics and race baiting that no one they just wring their hands and they can't do anything about it but in a small town if you bring that woke violent foolishness um we'll just handle it ourselves and so it's called try that in a small town meaning if you do some of this stuff in a small town and he says like i have my grandfather's gun like i know what to do with it um and so the song itself is you know i mean i don't think is the helpful way to talk about navigating uh uh, div division difference um, I do think it's a very American way of sort of saying like get right or I will perpetrate violence against you and that violence will be righteous and justified because you're a threat and your ideas are a threat and your behavior is a threat I mean we believe in redemptive violence in this country um, that's why we have a death penalty <laughs> um, and also but but it didn't really become a problem until he released the video this week. And the video mixes images of Black Lives Matters protests and acts of violence together. Um, so really conflating protesting police brutality with carjacking. And the protests, I will say, are, are majority people of color. The acts of violence are portrayed to be perpetrated by white people. Um, and then there's a, a scene in front of a courthouse and people can identify the particular courthouse that it is um, and that that courthouse was the site of at least one lynching um, you know, sometime in the last, I mean, not in... I mean, all history is recent history. So I, I don't know the dates, but I mean, certainly not 10 years ago, but a, a lynching. And so people are troubled um, because it does definitely seem to celebrate vigilante justice, right? Like, um, and people are troubled that to say essentially through images that to be part of a protest against brutality is the moral equivalent and the threat equivalent of a carjacking, and also the insensitivity of talking about citizens taking justice into their own hands, layering in images of a courthouse when citizens taking their perception of justice into their own hands resulted in the lynchings of African Americans. Like these are, these are deeply ingrained American narratives and then Jason Aldean's response has been um, like loud protests of innocence that I am not encouraging violence. And he was actually the country singer on stage when there was the mass shooting in Las Vegas. He was on stage when that happened. So he's saying like, I'm really offended that anyone would think that my, my song encouraged people to perpetrate violence. And he's saying like, there were no images of, um, you know, black people perpetrating crimes and the song's not even about racism. The song is about how in small towns we find ways of taking care of ourselves and working out our problems and sort of, I mean, his thing is like, this is just a song that's the equivalent of a Hallmark movie of like big cities are evil and bad and small towns are good and wholesome and, and kind of how dare you and your culture, cancel culture run amok, accuse me um, and, and I think, you know, what I see as a white person watching this play out is, look, like when people talk about 
the the presumed innocence of white people that essentially people are saying, hey, your song is is stirring up sentiments that literally caused the deaths of not just my ancestors, but of, you know, people who are trying to create justice in our communities right now. Um, and, and his response isn't, let me learn more. His response is, how dare you accuse me like I am innocent and you crossed a line and even in telling in saying what you think out loud you crossed a line because you saying what you believe means that people are questioning my innocence that and that's problematic and I and I think you know obviously Jason Aldean can write any song he wants to and obviously he can make any music video he wants to but what he doesn't get to do is prescribe for people what they're allowed to think about it and what they're allowed to say about it and I think you know the reality is if you as a white person are not interested in understanding the history of lynching in this country that doesn't make you innocent it means you're choosing to um, ignore parts of the reality that still are in play in our life today. And that that is a choice. And people are allowed to decide on the basis of that choice, whether or not you're a safe person to be around, whether or not the art that you produce is helpful in terms of creating a healthy space for us all to live in and whether or not you're an honest conversation partner. And um, the last thing that I, I think is really important for people to know is, you know, you may or may not have heard the term. I'm not you personally, obviously you have, but people listening may or may not have heard the term sundown town, but sundown towns were, um, towns that were known, usually small towns that were known, black and white people were known that you black people could be in that town during daylight hours because they were often working as the store clerks or the domestic servants in white establishments and in white homes. But once the sun went down, if you as a black person were within the city limits, you could be killed on site because you had no business being in that town after sundown. And that kind of, you know, and that was not because you weren't arrested and taken to court and given a trial by a jury of your peers, because it wasn't a law on the books. It was a just try it. And then the gun my grandfather gave me will take care of you. And then everyone will know it is vigilante justice and and that no one then would admit who had done it you could no one could have any legal recourse because the reality is according to the established justice system it never happened and so like i whether he is conscious of that or not he is perpetuating that same system of vigilante justice and two justice systems, one for white lives that are presumed to matter and and deserve protection by American institutions and one for black lives that only matter in if they prescribe to certain norms, which are not legal codes, 
um, but are just understand knowing your place, right? And that song, Try That in a Small Town, is about knowing your place. Like you can do that in that godless city, but if you come and do it in my small town, then we're going to take care of you because this isn't your place. And and he can say that that doesn't have anything to do with race if he wants to, but that has exactly been the line that powerful white people have used all along, has been, we don't have a problem with black people. We have a problem with black people who don't know their place. And so I think it's really important. And sometimes I think as white people, we're like, well, this is this is confusing because no one will admit what they're doing. And it's not like there's not a a law that we can say, like no one says it's legal. It's just no one will prosecute it as illegal and everyone looks the other way. And these white supremacist systems thrive and survive because they'll just, you know, morph and change and subvert. And no one, there are very few people. I mean, there's a reason that the Ku Klux Klan wore hoods because they wanted to do what they did and stand for what they stood for, but they wanted to be able to deny it afterwards. And so nobody is ever going to stand up and say, I am racist. I believe that white people are better than black people. No one's going to say that. What people are going to say is, I'm not racist, but blah, 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 blah. And, And that's the challenge. And so I think like, for white people, it's just complicated to deconstruct all the things that we were taught about what America is. America is the home of the free and the land of the brave. And this is a place of justice. And to go like, oh, my goodness, this may have been the experience that my ancestors had, but it's not the experience that everyone had. And this is the last thing I'm going to say, but I, I read a quote recently by a history professor who said, look, if the history that we were taught was true, we could not live in the present that we're living in. Like that's how we know because if everything were changed in the 1960s and became fair in the 1960s and and somehow allowing some black children to go to public educations magically fixed generational wealth and generational systemic inequalities, if that were magically fixed it from that point on and everything was fair and equal and even, then we would not have the disparities that we continue to have. And if you believe that the disparities that we continue to have have nothing to do with systems that are racist and give different results to different races of people, if you believe that, then honestly, what you're saying is, I do believe that white people are more successful and more fruitful and more productive and more law abiding than black people because everything has been fair since 1965. And yet our disparities in prisoner population and, you know, Supreme Court judges and presidents and senators remain the same. So what you're saying is, oh, the system is fair. People are just unequal. Like you got to pick. Either you believe that there are systemic racism, systemic racism remains in place, which means that systems, even when administered by people who are not racist or anti-racist, are going to continue to are going to continue to produce racist outcomes, not because the people have hate in their hearts, but because that's how the stat, you know, that's how the systems are designed. Either you believe that that's the case or you believe that everything's been fair since 1962. And so the reason that black people have $8 of generational wealth with in compared to an average of whatever, however many tens of thousands of dollars of white people's generational wealth is just because 
black people are lazy and poor, and that's why these inequalities remain. But if you believe that all people are created equal under the side of God, then there have to be other ways to explain it. And the good news is, if the systems are producing these outcomes, that's wonderful because we made the systems, and so we can remake them if we want to. I'm stepping off my soapbox. Two responses. One, I'm aware the song, the video, is coming in a certain context. It's coming within a context of growing white anxiety in the country. The country is becoming more diverse. It is becoming more diverse. It is becoming more diverse. It's looking like that Disney cruise, and we are accustomed to having Snow White being white. Right. And why do you have all these other pictures up? We feel like we are losing something. Right. And so there is a reaction to that um, that sense of loss, right? Um, the other part of the context in which this song comes, which this video comes, is a context in which we have this acknowledged division in the country of left and right, blue and red, conservative and liberal. And so what we are being told is that it is to your advantage both in terms of finances and power, to stir up controversy. Right. So, yes. Will he get criticism? Yes. Will he be canceled? Absolutely not. Why? Because there are enough people who support that side, those ideas, that this, this, will, this will in some way elevate his status. Right. I mean, the reality is, he, I'm not a huge country music fan, but I mean, he's like pretty middle of the road. You know, like the thing that's making him stand out is he he wrote this song and produced this video on purpose because it will elevate him over the other white country music st stars of his same age and same talent level. And like, he's not like a Garth Brooks who's like reinventing the genre of country music, right? Like he he needs to do something. Would you like me to sing some Garth Brooks songs? I, no, <laughs> I mean I would not like anyone to sing any Garth Brooks songs. What you don't so, like Garth? No, I mean I don't. I just it's just not my jam. I'm not even that into music. Period. True. Um, so, um, where I was going with that, and and this is going to date me, but I've mm -hmm. done that before. Think about. So if he says that the, the, the song is about um, small town, how we handle things in a small town, um, and, and that over against, you know, the big cities, well, immediately my mind went to songs from the 80s, like We Are the World, where you have right. all of these artists, black and white, different genres, uh, pop, R&B, um, country, um, and 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 rock, right? They're singing this song uh, to help people around the world, but also, you know, you have these Coca-Cola ads. You know, mm -hmm. I'd like to teach the world to sing, and you have this line of humanity, yes, yeah, stretched out across the. Country. Now, you might look back and 
you might look back at that and say, okay, that's sappy, cheesy, and sentimental. But it expressed, I think, a deep, fundamental longing for unity, mm -hmm. a, a, a desire to bridge gaps, a desire to find a way somehow, some way, if at all possible for us to hold hands, acknowledge our common humanity, even in the midst of tension and disagreement. Mm -hmm. We now live in a space which says, no, pour the gasoline, light the match, let it burn, and and you will you will profit, you will benefit from that. So it, there, there's just a, a difference in mindset. And so part of me uh, is acknowledging the song and what it's about, what it's truly about. I'm not surprised by it, right? Because right. there's a history of it, but also not to be distracted by it. Right. Because there are lots of those things in the culture right now. And what they all seem to be doing is saying, hey, look at me. Right. Look at me. And I don't think we we can totally ignore them because it's like ignoring a, a sore that you let fester. You don't want right. to do that. But at the same time, you don't want to give it undue attention because right. in the grand scheme of things, I mean, I'm just hearing echoes of people in history like um, – the governor of Alabama, George Wa uh, George Wallace, who stood outside of the segregation, segregation now. now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, and like he he is gone, and he was wrong, and so right. there's a certain sense that I have that oh I I, I see these people I, I see what you're trying to do right. I see where you're trying to take the country. Um, I, I see you. One, I know you're. I know you're wrong. In light of the gospel and the kingdom, you are wrong. You have lost. Right. Right. You are serving right. a defeated cause. Right. And at the same time, I'm acknowledging that there is there's a struggle right. that we must engage. We right. must be willing to look at ugly, painful things in our society that we would rather ignore, and, and we, we must at, at engage at the right level. Right, and I just think bo the bottom line is, um, ultimately, that song is a song about how violence solves problems. Yes. That is a song that says, I am safe here because I have a gun and I know how to use it. Um, and And... If we are followers of Jesus Christ, then what the cross shows us is that violence destroys the the God. I mean, literally, I you know, I am in my father and my father is in me, and don't you know me after all this time, Philip? Like it is it is society's attempt to make peace and to end violence through violence that murdered God. That is one of the many messages that we see on the cross. And so to be a follower of Jesus Christ and say, hey, I know what to do when violence and chaos enters into my small town, even taking him on his word and saying, like, oh, it's just about violence. It's not about 
Black Lives Matter. But even if that's the case, it doesn't matter because, again, and I he's not a Christian singer, and I understand that, but I do think it's for Christians to be able to understand that that is a song that celebrates the redemptive healing power of violence, and that is anathema to us. And what the song and other things in our society do is that, well, in the words of the Apostle Paul, that they are inviting people to believe another gospel, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. gospel of violence. The gospel of the gun, right? Like the gun, here's how you know you will have peace in your life. Have a gun and know how to use it and kill the people who would kill you, right? Like, And as, as offensive as it is, the claim of the gospel is, we save we we are saved not when we take a life but when we lay down our lives that and the power of the resurrection is there is a power of god that sustains and resurrects life even when violence does the most it delivers its biggest threat which is death right that is the foolish offensive stumbling block claim of the gospel so you know, to be able to say that we have enemies and the solution to our enemies is not to kill them, um, but to lay down our lives for them and and to say that is not to not to preserve their ability to kill, but to bear witness to the kingdom of God in our midst, which is in our midst and is like a mustard seed, but it but is becoming a place um, where all find shelter and all find nurture. So Anyway, that's it. That's us not talking about Jason Aldean. Try that's that in a small us town. Not talking, not talking about, about it. it. I mean, I do want to say, like, just to your point about like the kind of weight to give it, and this is, I think, the last thing I want to say. But it's just, I do want, I do, I am aware that sometimes in this podcast, it's like, well, what's astonishing you? And then also, what's the thing that everyone is having controversy about? And let's give our hot takes on it. And I, I am understanding of the idea that. You know, it gives it more attention and gives it more airtime. But I also feel like, you know, we we need to be able to demonstrate. I mean, this was the whole fundamental premise of this: is like we we do in our friendship have conversations about, about this, and that it's helpful. We hope for people to to hear like a way that we don't have to ignore something, but that we can address it. But then also say. The majority of our time and energy and certainly our identity is not based on what we're against, but what we're for. And, um, and so, you know, I, that's why we're talking about it. So, um, that's it, right. For today, for For this time. And and we are not going to podcast next week because you're, I'm traveling again. You're traveling in California and I am going to be the camp pastor at Camp Bethel Woods, which I'm really excited about. so important. My friends are important. I mean, I'm going to be in the woods somewhere, actually. But this is not camping. I I have a cabin with a bathroom. (laughs) Just needed to be said. I was going to say, you don't don't really camp. camp. Nope. I don't cruise. I don't camp. This is, is, I don't amusement park. So this is all good. I do, however, turn off the air conditioning because I like the heat um so thanks for listening this week and if you want to know more about what god is doing at god's church dorida presbyterian church we have a new website which is doridachurch.com simple straightforward wow. bam i can remember that you can remember there's no that. slashes there's no, there's no right doridachurch.com boom wow Dorida, you got like you're the only dorida church on the entire world wide web it's impressive 
impressive. So if you want to, if you want to know what God is doing at God's, God's church, the Dorita church, doritachurch.com. And you can worship with them at 11 o'clock yes. on Sunday mornings. Uh, and uh, Mr. Hinton, Reverend Hinton, Pastor Hinton will be back in the house, back in the pulpit where he belongs this Sunday after having been preached under the floor the past three Sundays by our friend Nicole, Nicole Thompson, Thompson yes. who you got to be careful when you invite her into Listen, the pulpit because she is so wonderful and gifted. And the people are like, man, <laughs> maybe they changed good. the locks. <laughs> she's good. Yeah, um, she's really good. So I, I do not envy you going back into the pulpit after following her for not one, not two, but three weeks. But but the Lord is good to fools and children, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so it's going to be great. Um, and you can also check out Yolando's messages on the Dorado Church podcast, which is on the Podbean website. Um, and if you want to know more about what God is doing in God's church, The Grove, you can go to our website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org. You can check out the Grove podcast and the Grove YouTube channel, which is, I don't know, the Grove Charlotte, the Grove Church. I really need to get lo- get that locked down. But there's a green tree wow. with roots. I'm sorry. I'm so busy learning all of your stuff that I forget mine. And um, you can worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock where the dress code is wear clothes. Wear them. So thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next week.